if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now, eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks again for being with us. Thanks again to my guest, A.W.R. Uh, Hawkins, talking about uh, the Second Amendment, which is going to be so extraordinarily important for us to keep and protect if they're going to continue to try to defund cops. I want to shift gears now. I want to go back to the mask mandates. Yesterday, Texas and Mississippi announcing uh, Mississippi's in effect right now, by the way. Texas takes effect next Wednesday, uh, a return to 100% capacity for all businesses in those states and a lifting of the statewide mask mandates. Here is a response to some of this from Representative Michael Waltz. It's cl- the clear liberal elitism uh, that we see coming time and time again out of Washington, D.C., when they pretend like they have all the answers. Uh, and I got to tell you, in Florida, we are managing this coronavirus. We're right. keeping the economy open, and we're walking that fine line with common sense. He was responding to President Joe Biden calling Greg Abbott's decision in Texas Neanderthal thinking. Literally used the word Neanderthal to describe the decision to allow freedom to ring in the great state of Texas. And by the way, Texas and Mississippi are not alone. In fact, they join 13 other states that either never had mask mandates or had already lifted their mask mandates. So the movement is on to return America to normal in spite of uh, the ongoing fear-mongering being done by the liberal elites that Representative Waltz just talked about. Here in the state of Ohio, however, not so much. Mike DeWine announced yesterday, tough You'll live the way I tell you to live, and uh, nothing will change that until I decide that it does. Joining us now to respond to that is uh, U.S. Senate candidate. Uh, is it okay to call you that now, Josh Mandel? Are you officially a candidate, even though we really aren't into the uh, campaign season yet? Are you? Can we call you candidate or just your intention to run? I am officially a candidate for the U.S. Senate. You pulled your paperwork and all of that? Pulled the paperwork, joshmandel.com. That's what I wanted to hear. Okay, so I will introduce you then as U.S. Senate candidate Josh Mandel, former Ohio Secret, uh, uh, Treasurer, rather, rather uh, joining us now to react to uh, uh, Governor DeWine's decisions. And you reacted yesterday online and issuing a press release uh, pretty strongly, and I'll let you tell everybody what you think of Mike DeWine's response to all of this, Josh Mandel. Well, uh, I announced yesterday that I'm calling on Mike DeWine to 
open Ohio back up, that means no more mask mandates, no more restrictions on businesses, and no more keeping kids out of schools. we got to get our kids back in school five days a week, in-person instruction for any mom and dad that wants that. Our businesses should be totally open, no restrictions whatsoever, and get rid of these mask mandates. I'm sick and tired of Mike DeWine and the mini Fauci, Amy Acton, who was a total failure, putting these mandates on us and taking the big hand of government and screwing the little guy. You know what's so frustrating, Josh? And you're very familiar with state government, obviously, having been treasurer, is, you know, they make statements that they have no intention of living up to. It was July 23rd of last year that the Ohio mask mandate went into effect. It was announced by Mike DeWine. And you may or may not recall exactly what he said at that time. He said, look, this is temporary. He said, if we can just give this four to six weeks of everybody wearing masks, we'll crush this virus and we'll all be able to go back to normal. Now, I... I July 23rd. By my count, that was eight months of four to six weeks ago. Uh, how can he possibly, you know, justify such, uh, you know, such a, a complete abdication of his responsibility and going back on his word? Listen, this is all about Mike DeWine, who, in my mind, is a squishy establishment politician, and Amy Acton, who was his mini Fauci, who had the worst mass of any of these mini Fauci's around the country. It's all about those two wanting to exercise power over the people. This is all about power. And in 1787, when the framers of the Constitution were arguing and debating and writing that incredible document, they envisioned an America where the people had power over the politicians, not the reverse. And what DeWine has done here is trampled on our individual liberty, trampled on our freedoms, and we have to fight back. And uh, we, when I say we, it's all of us. 11.5 million people in the state of Ohio. We have to exercise power over the politicians and fight back. And you, know, you, you mentioned that mask mandate and what he said when he put it in. So after he put that in last July, Bob, yeah, the numbers skyrocketed in Ohio. So they, they, they went up. And so he was dead wrong again. But when you look at the actual numbers, he put that mask mandate in place using Amy Acton's prediction that there would be 62,000 cases per day here in Ohio, right. the number ended up being an average of 476. I mean, these guys, the wide and Acton, they weren't even in the ballpark. They weren't even in the universe of accurate. I mean, they were just dead wrong. And what's really uh, amazing to me is that, you know, Amy Acton, of course, is long gone from that position. She was two Ohio health directors ago. Uh, but the current one, Stephanie McLeod, is essentially giving him the same advice. And it makes me, I used to say that Mike DeWine was so spineless, you called him squishy or whatever, that he was letting Amy Acton uh, write the policy for him and then just doing whatever she said. Uh, but now, again, Stephanie McLeod is the, is the health director, um, and, and she's essentially doing the same thing. So maybe I was wrong. Maybe DeWine wasn't listening to Acton. Maybe it was DeWine dictating to Acton, and is, he is still dictating to the current health director. And maybe that's why Acton and, uh, uh, I can't remember the other guy who was a lawyer left, uh, and, and, and McLeod is in this position now. Maybe this is all about, you know, Mike DeWine's little Napoleon complex. It, it very well could be. I mean, that, that theory actually makes, a lot of sense um and it's definitely about power right like it's you know we as citizens you know we have to fight for our liberty and we have to fight against tyranny and this is tyranny of the government i mean one of the things bob that that really got under my skin was that they they shut down hardware stores and you know family-owned clothing stores and 
Mom beauty and pop shops, shops. barber shops, and restaurants. But then they let Walmart and Target and Costco stay open. And it was just outrageous. I mean, they literally screwed over the little guy and they empowered these big multinational conglomerates who happen to be the same companies that are embracing this woke culture, this cancel culture, all that garbage. And so it's, it's, it's just gross. I, I was, I, I was talking to a friend who shops at a store called uh, Schaefer leather goods. They're down in Marietta, Ohio. They sell work boots and cowboy boots to Ohioans. And Bob, they, they've been open for 150 years through world war one, world war two, great depression, Spanish flu. They never shut down. But then Mike DeWine shut them down. First time in five generations. But you know who got to stay open? Right down the street, Walmart was selling work boots and cowboy boots yep. to the former customers of Schaefer Leather. I mean, this is just, this is all about power, and it's, it's about DeWine. Yeah, but the virus the doesn't the go people. into but the virus doesn't go into the big stores, you see. So it's okay for those <laughs> workers. I mean, I, I mean, you know, look, uh, uh, Josh Mandel. This is why Governor Christie Noem, I thought, had the most uh, unbelievable line and the best line of the entire CPAC last weekend. Now, listen, when she said this, let me be clear: COVID didn't crush the economy; government crushed the economy. <laughs> And that is an example of it right there. What Mike DeWine did to the small businesses, leaving only the big box stores or the giant department stores like Walmart's and the, um, you know, you mentioned Target and others open saying they're essential and they're, those workers are essential and what they provide is essential. But people who provide the same things in smaller shops, we got to shut those down because the virus goes in there. It's, it's just unbelievable. And none of that thinking has changed from, from Mike DeWine. The rest, I shouldn't say the rest, many other Republican governors, particularly Republican Republican governors have seen the error of their ways. You know, Greg Abbott locked down Texas six months ago, and I thought it was a terrible decision then, but at least he has seen the error of his ways. And Mike DeWine is watching others do this and saying, too bad, he's sticking to his guns. He's doubling down. Yeah, he's, he's uh, listen, this is what happens with a lot of Republicans. They <laughs> campaign as conservatives, and then they govern as squish, squishes and govern as Democrats. And, like, DeWine's the epitome of that. I mean, he's just, he wants to be loved by the editorial boards, and he wants to be loved by the cocktail party circuit, and he wants to be loved by the high society, and he doesn't care about the little guy. I mean, they're literally just, like, screwing over the little guy. And My feeling is, who the heck cares about the liberal media and the editorial boards and the cocktail parties and the, 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 you know, the beard strokers who want to think big thoughts and condescend <laughs> on, on the middle class? Like, we as conservatives, we as constitutional conservatives, we as like Trump supporters and believers in the Constitution, believers in this country, we should be fighting for the mom and pops. We should be fighting for the small businesses. And we should be going to war with these big, you know, multinational conglomerates who are trying to just crush the little guy here in Ohio and throughout the country. Well, your point is well taken, but you should watch your language there. You use the word fighting twice and war once, and you're going to be accused of inciting an insurrection. You know that, right? Uh, I, well, I'll tell you what, Bob. I, 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 uh, you know, they, they talk about draining the swamp. My staff keeps telling me that I'm not allowed to say this, but I'm going to say it again. I'm not going to Washington to drain the swamp. I'm going to Washington to blow up the swamp because it is so disgusting what's going on in the nation's capital where you have the uniparty where the Democrats and the Republicans, you know, they start to look the same and, sound the same and care more about getting invited to those cocktail parties than they do about, you know, defending and standing up for the Constitution. And listen, you know, we as 
constitutional conservatives, we as lovers of liberty and, you know, those of us who fought for our freedom, you know, we need to fight for our neighbor's freedom as well and the liberties of our neighbors because, you know, a lot of people, they don't have the time to do it. You know, they got two jobs, they got three, four kids, they're taking kids to soccer practice, they're going to their church meeting, they're going to their you know, local community meeting. They're just, people are busy. And so what I'm trying to do as a candidate for U.S. Senate is fight for the people, fight for the everyday Ohioan and combat the big-handed government that Mike DeWine is trying to uh, you know, use to stick it to him. Josh, uh, by the way, throw a modifier in there and your staff will probably be okay. Throw the word figuratively in there before you say you want to blow up the swamp and you'll probably be, you'll probably get the green light from staff. But speaking of governing one way and campaigning another way, I want to read something to you and get your reaction to this before you go. Quote, It is clear Congressman Gonzalez's wrongful decision to vote with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to impeach President Trump has undermined his ability to effectively represent the people of the 16th District. Gonzalez should immediately resign so that the Republican Party can unify behind the new conservative leadership for the 16th District. President Trump is the leader of our party, and we must have conservative leaders committed to the team if we are going to keep Ohio red and win back majorities in the U.S. House and Senate in 2022. Gonzalez should put his constituents and the Republican Party first by resigning from Congress. Those are the words of Jane Timken, former chair of the Ohio Republican Party and also a declared candidate for the United States Senate seat that is going to be given up by Rob Portman. I kind of thought you might want to respond to that. Yeah, it's just comical. I mean, uh, on February 1st, she defended Gonzalez's vote for impeachment. She called it rational. She was asked how she would vote, and she said she didn't even know how she would vote in our impeachment. So she defended Gonzalez on February 1st. All of a sudden, she gets all this heat from me and from uh, conservative activists around Ohio. And then voila, a month later, literally a month later on March 1st, she totally flip-flops. And uh, listen, Jane Temkin is one of those squishy establishment politicians that just puts her finger in the wind, checks how the wind is blowing, and then changes her mind, however the wind might be blowing on a given day. But, you know, Bob, voters see through that. I and mean, at the end of the day, like, voters are smart. Ohioans are smart. They see through that garbage. And, and they just don't want it. They don't want flip-floppers like Jane Timken representing them. Josh Mandel, I knew you'd have some thoughts on that, as well as on uh, Governor Mike DeWine and his decisions. I appreciate you coming on today to respond to some of these things. Josh, good luck in your campaign. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Thank you. Josh Mandel joining us on AM 1420. The answer is 1021. We've got time for your phone calls right after this. Dial now, 216-901-0945. We'll be right back. Okay, 1026. Continue on AM 1420. The answer. Appreciate you uh, joining us this morning. Appreciate Josh Mandel. Appreciate uh, AWR Hawkins earlier coming up in about seven minutes, eight minutes. We're going to talk to uh, Molly Smith from Cleveland Right to Life as well. Um, Somebody just asked, somebody called and said, who are the other 13 states that don't have COVID restrictions or COVID mandates? I read them earlier in the show. I'll be happy to do it again, as not everybody can listen at the same time, obviously. But let me just, uh, give me just a second here to pull it up. Yeah, here it is. And and I'll do it the same way. I'll do it the old Sesame Street way. Which of these things is not like the other? Which of these things just isn't the same? All right. Uh, Here we go. 
Doggone it. Hold on. My screen is now glitching on me as I say, here we go. I'm going to read this to you. And, yeah. All right. It seems to have disappeared. It was up a second ago, and now it is not, so I might not be able to read it to you. But there were 13 other states, <clears throat> excuse me, that had no, let me rephrase, 13 other states that either had no mask mandates from the beginning, or there were 13 states, in some of their cases, uh, they had them and then thought better of it and then, um, you know, rescinded them the way Greg Abbott did in Texas yesterday, as well as Tate Reeves in Mississippi. Here it is. Now the screen is up. Okay, sorry. These are the states. Alaska, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Idaho. You know most of these are red states, right? Uh, Even Georgia, I'm going to call a red state. Georgia has been a a deep red state for a very, very long time. It is a a Republican governor, Republican legislature, and I believe that the the, um, presidential election was stolen from Donald Trump there. But at any rate, Alaska, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Iowa, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Ohio. That's where I played the Sesame Street game. Which of these is not like the other? The answer, of course, is Ohio. Ohio is the only one of those states that continue to fearmonger and to keep us under the delusion that these ridiculous face diapers do anything to stop the spread of COVID-19. And that lockdowns do any good whatsoever at trying to stop the spread of COVID-19. They have never, ever done that. We talk about this, and I have talked about this, I mean, ad nauseum, um, that lockdowns have never, ever, ever been used before. We had a, in fact, let me see if I can pull this up. This is Dr. Leland Stillman, uh, who we talked to a few weeks ago, who, who talked about the lockdown term is not a medical response. It has never been a medical response. Listen to this. When you go back, I mean, the idea of a lockdown, to me, I never learned about that in medical school. I never heard about it in undergraduate. The whole, you know, an Italian term that refers to the 40 days that they would have a port lay in, or a ship lay in port before they allowed people off. And that was in response to the plagues and epidemics of, of the ancient and then the medieval world. Lockdown comes to us from the penal system. It has to do with punishing the inmates for creating trouble and trying to, you know, uh, buck the system and, uh, and break the rules. That was an important point that I tried to make yesterday when I said there are sanctions that have been put on the people for, for committing no crimes except being human beings who have germs. And we all have germs, so we're all treated like we're germ factories and we're all locked down. And, and here's the, 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 the mad science, if you will, behind what Mike DeWine did here in this state and some of the other states. But they relieved, you know, they uh, 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 lifted those, including Texas, as we're talking about. They go with a full-on lockdown. You can't leave unless it's for essential services to go get food or supply, food or medical supplies. Otherwise, stay locked down in your home. It's about as restrictive as restrictive can be, right? That's a lockdown. And as you heard the doctor say, that's not in the medical term. That's not a medical term. That's a penal term. So you start out with the full-on lockdown and the full-on mandate. If you leave anywhere, you have to wear a mask, et cetera, et cetera. And then, and then you look like the hero, and people are like, oh, thank you, Governor, whenever he throws you a little bit of a crumb of liberty back. Okay, you're not fully locked down now. You can leave to go here. 
And business owners, owners, you are no longer fully locked down. You can still serve food to people outside, make them pick it up and take it back home where they can live in their own germ-infested filth. And then a little bit later on, okay, you can you can eat there, but it has to be outside. And we're like, oh, thank you, thank you, Mr. Governor. We can sit outside and eat at a picnic table now? Thank you. You know, and that's how it goes. And then you can go inside, but if you're standing, you have to be wearing a mask. If you're seated, the virus is way too tricky. Uh, or excuse me, uh, uh, we, we can trick the virus, rather. The virus doesn't know when you're sit, sitting down that it can go lower and get you. So you don't have to wear your mask when you're seated. But you could only have 10% of the restaurant filled. Every little step, every little crumb of liberty that restore, we're all, thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's the most frustrating part about it. At least in some of the other states that did the same restrictive lockdowns, like Texas and like Mississippi, they saw the error of their ways and didn't just come back slowly, little by little by little. They just said, you know what, this is wrong, this isn't working, it's harming more people than it's helping. We're all open again, 100% capacity and no mandates. Why can't Mike DeWine see that? Probably because it's a little bit too high and he can't see over things. All right, 1032, right back after this. Please be aware, you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And we do continue now at 1037. Let's pivot away from the politics of the day. Although, I guess when you're fighting for the right to life, and when you're fighting for the most defenseless uh, among us, uh, in our in our civilization, uh, the unborn. I guess that's an everyday thing. The politics might not rear their ugly heads every single day, but uh, it is certainly an everyday battle, and that's where we want to go now. I want to welcome Molly Smith to our program. Molly Smith is the director of the Cleveland Right to Life, and she is working her tail off preparing as well as all of the staff at Cleveland uh, Right to Life for the 2021 Bringing America Back to Life conference, which is coming up next week, uh, next weekend, Friday and Saturday, March 12th and 13th. And uh, this is such an extraordinarily important event that I am so extraordinarily humbled to be a small part of as uh, I will be taking part as the MC of the event. And uh, Molly is here to tell us all about it. Molly, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Bob. I'm doing very well. Thank you for that great introduction. Yes, we are working so darn hard. (laughs) I know you are, uh, because, you know, just bringing me into this, I, I, you know, I've had just a tiny little look behind the curtain at what you guys are doing, and it's remarkable what you are able to do. How many years have, uh, have uh, the uh, conference been going on now? What, what number is this? This, this is our 12th year. Um, which we're very, we're very blessed to be able to have continued it for 12 straight years. Um, it is, you know, it, it's one of those things that started off as a vision around a roundtable discussion with with uh, three board members. That at that time it was just three of us on the board, and we started working out how do we make an impact? What what can we do? And um, the the uh, secretary of our organization at the time, Janine Jones, and she still is. She's now co-chair with me. Said, why don't we put on a conference? Why don't we do a convention? At that point, we called it a symposium. And she said, bring in the best and the brightest minds and, and educate the grassroots. And we thought, hmm, sounds great. So we just started doing it. <laughs> well, that is, and yet that we are is, 12 years later. 
You, yeah. you know, it's kind of funny. As I, as I look at the rundown and the list of great speakers, and we'll talk about some of them in a moment, including the keynote for Friday night's gala dinner, um, I, I, it reminded me of a miniature version of CPAC, uh, which, of course, was held last weekend in uh, in Orlando, Florida, where it's a cavalcade. You know, in CPAC, it's four straight days, but this is two days, Friday and Saturday, from almost sunup to sundown, of speakers all with the same values, the same um, uh, viewpoints, uh, the same beliefs in the sanctity of life and the American family values that so many of us hold dear. It's kind of like a CPAC, but but specifically geared toward the protection of, of the unborn. Is that a, is that a fair comparison? That's a great comparison, actually. That's exactly what we are. You know, one of the things that we decided we would do is we needed to incorporate four uh, cornerstones of, of what we stand for. And, and that was, and we thought, let's, let's try and get those people, people that are experts in those areas, to come in and help. Uh, at that point, it was Cleveland, and then it grew to Ohio, and now it's national. I think we've got 27 we we had as many as 27 state uh, states come in and be represented with now i think this year we've got about 18 but it was so we do those four four cornerstones which is prayer action voting and education so we try to bring speakers in that will help us to pave the way back to life so that's the way we you know every time we we're booking a speaker how does it fit into those four pieces and um, and and I think we have been very successful, Bob. I, I I'm so honoured to think of how many young people have been at our convention, and in a typical year, at least one third, if not more, of our participants. And you know, we get up to we've had as, as many as fifteen hundred participants come into the convention uh, in a non-COVID year. But um, of the, of the fifteen hundred, we've had one third of them being. Um, young people, and now I'm looking at some of them serving as state representatives, serving as reporters in D.C., um, starting their own organization. It's been phenomenal to see the impact and to know that we were a little bit, uh, just a small part of, of who they are now. So it's it's been very successful, and with, we are honored to do this for God, because this is the whole thing, it's to do God's will that is, and to that... do it with joy. That is so very well said, and that's so important for people to remember. We're talking with Molly Smith. Molly Smith is the president or director, if you will, of uh, Cleveland Right to Life, and she is running uh, the 2021 Bringing America Back to Life conference and convention, which is being held next weekend, March 12th and March 13th. Um, Molly, Charlie Kirk is uh, is going to be the keynote speaker. There's a lot of great speakers. He might be the biggest name. He, of course, is the founder of the of Turning Point USA, which is a very important organization to bring the younger generation into, uh, you know, the same value set that many of us uh, uh, who are a little bit. Salem radio host like me, uh, although he have, uh, is in the uh, national syndicated rotation, and we hear him every day at noon here on uh, AM 1420, The Answer. Tell me why Charlie is the right guy for the keynote address Friday night. That's quite a funny story because, again, one of these young people, a, a group of them came up to me about three years ago and said, you know who you should come in, you, sh- you should have here, and the, the person who will bring in all the young people, even more than us. And I said, who's that? They said, Charlie Kirk. You've got to get Charlie Kirk in here. So I sort of said, oh, okay, great. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try. So last year we did try. We tried to bring Charlie in, and he, he was unable to come in at the time that, that we were having it. And um, he was already booked up. So we put it on the calendar for this year, and sure enough, 
of course, being being a down year for many of these speakers, it was the perfect year for us to bring him in. So we, we just, you know, he is somebody that the young people follow. Who they consider many of them consider to be a hero. Many of them are, are are hoping to follow in his in his footsteps. So it was just one of those things. And and considering his strong Christian faith, his strong stand on the, mor- the on morality and where you know how we should go about being an action person in in the environment. I think Charlie is a great choice for us this year because we've just gone through a very contentious um, election cycle, um, and yet he hasn't been dulled. It has not dulled him. So I think this is going to show people, how do you get through this? How can a young person um, make an impact? And having Charlie here to tell us all, not just the young people, but all of us, and and give us courage to keep doing what we what we hope to to be able to do. So he's definitely part of those at least two of those cornerstones: voting and and um, and action. So he shows us how to do this. And and as you said at the beginning, um, he is very much um, recognised as uh, in, in turning, turning Point USA is one of the most important. Um, conservative influences in the country. No question about it. And and again, it's important that he reaches that younger generation because, you know, I, I say this all the time whenever I speak at events and I'll see just a wonderful, uh, you know, crowd of people who uh, you know, look like me or maybe a little bit older than me and I love them and I think, we need you to bring your children. We need you to bring your grandchildren, mm-hmm. you know, partic- partic- you know uh, uh, as long as they're old enough to understand what we're talking about here because we need to bring the younger generation into these um, organizations that we are a part of um, where we protect and respect life and, and values and, and family and, and, and all of the things that are so dear to us. So to have somebody like that is exactly what is needed, I think, because he really does resonate with college students and with high school students and uh, others, um, uh, you know, who are of like minds but are of that younger generation which we really need which brings me to my next question um are you optimistic molly about the direction of the pro-life movement when it comes to the younger generations whether it be the millennials who are now into their 30s or whether it be gen z the kids who are in their teens and in their early 20s are are you optimistic are we making headway with them because it's always a constant battle with the forces that want to continue to describe the uh you know the the torture and murder of unborn children as quote women's health that battle is so hard and it's they fight it and they have advantages that we don't have such as taxpayer funding and that sort of thing Um, are you optimistic about the direction that the movement is going when it comes to our younger people you know that's a very good question and, and i'm sort of conflicted about it bob and i will be very honest with you i i think that unfortunately that the and the pro-life movement as a whole let's say the elite pro-life movement has become very um comfortable in in um where they're at i mean many of many of the leaders of the pro-life movement live within the dc bubble or are part of the dc bubble and that has become a problem for the movement. It definitely has become a problem. Um, you know, we, we make far too many compromises. And I'll tell you something, our young people see it very clearly. And those that are engaged, like the, the people that I am referred at the, to at the beginning that are now moving into leadership roles, they see that these compromises don't get us to where we need to be. Um, so I'm, I'm not... I'm not a hundred percent confident that that we are going that we're going to pull in the young people, but I think it will be events like ours where we 
focus on trying to bring young people into us mm-hmm. and, and to, but, but to be challenging because we don't make everybody feel comfortable. You know, every single time we, are, we have a convention, we will have people walk up to us and say, we don't agree with your contentious you know, stand. Well, it's not contentious. It's not a contentious stand. It's the truth. And we have to stand on the truth. And you cannot, really and truly, you cannot lie to a young person. They get it. They see it. Even though they might accept it to start with, they do come back and say, but how come you're doing that, but you're not doing that? So we do see that um, sort of conflict within the young people themselves. I think we are going to have, um, I think there's going to be a reawakening. Let me put it that way. I think President Trump did a great job of inspiring, even though in many people considered him to be a, you know, very much of a, a very contentious figure. I think the young people, many young people absolutely loved him, particularly in the conservative movement and particularly in the pro-life movement. So it brought a lot of young people into the movement um, because he was so strong on, on this particular issue. Um, the other part of what we follow that, that we uh, go out there and educate on is the family, the, the threats to the family, uh, and the threats to the, L, you know, with the LBGTQ um, agenda popping right up. This is another whole area that we've got to start to speak out. And at the, the, at our convention every single year, we address some of these issues, we bring them forward, we, we, we present to the audience and to the participants, here's what the truth looks like, here's where we're living. So you're making that contrast constantly throughout. And we will be doing it again this year as well. So, yeah, um, sort of, sort of I, I'm not quite sure how to answer that. I think, we, I think we're going in the right direction, but I think we've got a long way to go. No, I think that's a great answer, and that's uh, you're right. I mean, it is complicated. It's not as if hey, we're winning, or you know, this is hopeless. Yeah. There is, you know, there is, you know, there are a lot of considerations when you when you when you think about an answer like that. But that's why uh, events like what's coming up um, on next Friday and Saturday are, are so important. Now, obviously, you know, we like to see as many people as possible attend these things. What is the uh, what is the attendance policy, ticket sales, etc.? How can people be a part of this in the age of COVID? I don't know what the restrictions are. Well, we are following all the current restrictions, which actually, since we since we booked the hotel and, and we, since we started to went, since we decided to start to do this as an in person, you know, as a live event, uh, I think that the the restrictions have changed about seven times. So we just <laughs> it's, it's crazy. I mean, right now we've got that. Uh, just recently, I think on Monday or Tuesday, whenever it was, um, the the governor came out with relaxing the banquets and all the rest of it. But when you go through the restrictions um, that are still in place, we've got, you know, you can dance now, you know, you can have a, a, a party and a wedding and a, and a, and a you know, the graduations and everybody can dance, but you still have to stay six feet apart. Well, that's going to be a little difficult. So we've got all these things we've got to try and consider and, and we're working with the hotel very well and they are wonderful. Embassy Suites has been just phenomenal. Yeah. So, um, so we, we are... Um, we are going to be following the restrictions, uh, whatever restrictions are there, but I have told, I've told the hotel they know and then they're fine. I am not going to be enforcing all the restrictions, restrictions. That's up to them. So we will, we, will, we will put them all there. Here's what you are supposed to do. Go for it. We have to uh, abide by the numbers right now. So there are restricted numbers that we are allowed to put into the, into the rooms for the, bank, for the lunches and, and, and also for the presentations. But one of the great things that we've just put up on our website and please go there anybody who's listening 
if you cannot get a ticket, uh, uh, you need to go to bringingamericabacktolife.org and go to the registration uh, drop-down and you'll find how to register for, for the various parts and pieces. You can, um, our Friday is getting you know pretty full, but you can certainly get, go there and you can do that and you can register. We've also got live streaming going on um, and so we are hoping people will buy the, buy the tickets for the live streaming. We'll also have options within the hotel to watch the live streaming. So all that's there. Uh, the gala dinner or gala. Do you like gala or gala? I say it both ways. Uh, <laughs> I, I normally say gala. So. The gala dinner, I'll take it, uh, on, uh, on Friday <laughs> night features Charlie Kirk with the keynote address. The dinner on Saturday night, day two of this convention, features the screening, a special screening of Roe v. Wade, the movie. Um, it is coming exclusively to the Bringing America Back to Life convention uh, here in Cleveland, technically Independence. Uh, it features some of the biggest stars in Hollywood like John Voight, uh, Stacey Dash, Corbin Burnson, Joey Lawrence, and others, all um, with some extraordinary... I read some of the reviews, by the way, and thank you for sharing those with me, Molly. Um, this movie looks phenomenal. It is not some sort of just dramatic retelling. It is filled with information that... Quite frankly, they did not have in 1973 when Roe v. Wade was decided. It's uh, it's going to be so amazingly educational and maybe even inspirational, and I think that's a big mm-hmm. part of it. So if you can get tickets for Saturday's events, please uh, go to, as Molly just said, bringingamericabacktolife.org. Drop down the registration link there and see if you can register what you can register for. We would love to have you. And Molly, I'm honored that you have asked me to be a part of it. I'm very much looking forward to it, and I thank you so much for sharing the information with us today. Absolutely. We're honored to have you there, Bob. God bless you. Thank you very much, Molly Smith, and God bless you as well. 1053, we'll be right back. Okay, 1056, final segment of the morning is a short one. Um, it's at, I think Molly mentioned it in passing. So I just want to make sure you know it's at the Embassy Suites, Bringing America Back to Life Convention. Next Friday and Saturday, March 12th and 13th. I, of course, will not be on the air that day because, again, it starts uh, Friday morning. So we'll have a guest host uh, next Friday. Uh, but uh, it's at the Embassy Suites, and if you would like to register for individual, uh, as an individual or with a group, uh, as a student, uh, there are all kinds of different things that you can uh, you can check out at the website. It's under the registration tab. Just drop that menu down to register for either day, Friday or Saturday, or both days, for goodness sakes. Friday is getting very filled up, she said, especially given the you know limitations. We're trying to keep to all of the rules. But all of that information is available at bringingamericabacktolife.org. B-A-B-L, bringingamericabacktolife.org, and then click that registration tab. Some of the other speakers, I didn't get a chance to say them. I mentioned Charlie Kirk is the uh, keynote speaker on Friday night at the uh, gala, the gala dinner, uh, now that I got that cleared up. Some of the others, um, some of which you may know, some of which you may not. Michael Voris is the founder and president of St. Michael's Media and Church Militant. Uh, Father Sheehan Boquette, uh, priest of the Diocese of Huma Thibodeau in Louisiana, you probably would not know. Uh, Paul Kenger is a professor of political science at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania, which is a great, great, great school. Uh, Austin Roos is uh, uh, head of the Center for Family and Human Rights. He will be a speaker. Alan Moy, MD, CEO of Cellular Engineering Technologies, which is a biotech company that manufactures human stem cells. 
manufactures them, mind you, not collects them from uh, discarded human embryos. Sarah Quayle is the president of the Personhood Alliance Education uh, Foundation. Uh, Jennifer Christie is the founder and executive director of Love Louder, a a no-exceptions pro-life support system for women who have been victims of sexual assault. Our own Jack Windsor, entrepreneur, independent investigative journalist, and uh, the uh, uh, managing editor of the Ohio Star and a regular guest on this program, he will be presenting. Uh, Mary Rice Hassan, Kate O'Brien Fellow in the Ca- uh, Catholic Studies at the Ethics and Publicly Poli- Public Policy Center in D.C. Carlton Smith, founder and president of Architon Global. Uh, Luke Mas- uh, Masick, excuse me, of the Lyceum, headmaster at the Lyceum, you know very well. Donna Marie Murphy, Heaven's Gain Ministries. Smith herself. Those are the that is the complete list of presenters and speakers at the event coming up next week. I wanted to get that out there today to give you plenty of time to register for those events. Thanks for being a part of the show today. We'll talk to you tomorrow on a free for all Friday. Be well, be safe, be free. Bye bye.